The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Presario Media presents the Guru Presario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. All righty, back on the Guru Presario podcast. Actually, here in our new office in Alma Heights, moved from downtown San Antonio. Uh, Oz, what episode is this? 28, episode 28. I know we took a little break. We've probably been out of the uh, out of the mic world probably about three weeks, I'd say. But it's good to be back. Um, that was a big move. So, so yeah. Um, joining today, I have my guest, Meredith Chacon, who is running for District DA here in, well, DA for San Antonio, correct? For all of Bear County. All of Bear County. <laughs> and Willie, how do you say your last name, Willie? Ning. Willie yeah. Ning as well. What's your, uh, what's your background here? Well, re- retired uh, law enforcement, 28 years. Good. San Antonio Police Department, did some work with the Secret Service and also the Chief Investigator with the District Attorney's Office. Good deal, good deal. And that was the District Attorney's Office during... Nicola Hood's Nicola Hood? uh, administration. Good deal, good deal. Okay, uh, Meredith, I want to I start by just letting you introduce yourself. Uh, let the people of San Antonio know, you know, your campaign, your background, and why you decided to uh, to run for DA. Sure. Well, um, so I'm a military brat. My dad retired here. I'm from Texas, but we've been in San Antonio since the late 80s, and I'm a San Antonio high school graduate. First question people always ask, where you go to high school? Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, so I graduated from Incarnate Word uh, oh, from college, nice. and I went straight to the DA's office, worked for Judge Reed for about 16 years. Uh, first as a victim advocate, and then I went to law school about a year later and came back and was an intern, took the bar early, started prosecuting in 2003. So I was there for her administration almost the entire time, and then I was stayed when Nico LaHood took over and worked there. And um, it was about uh, 2018 when I left. It was a little bit uh, before the new administration took over, and I'd already decided to make a change and that I was going to continue my work in advocacy with children's issues because I was a child abuse prosecutor. And I had already started th- thinking about making this move and running for DA in the future. Uh, I felt like I'd been doing the job a really long time, had some good ideas about how the office should run, and I was ready to step out on my own. And so this opportunity has presented itself, and I think now is the time for Bear County to do it this way and do it right, have someone who really knows the job run for the job. And, uh, and so that's why I'm doing this. Very important point. Well, let me let Willie introduce himself and kind of what got you involved into law enforcement, and then I'll kind of go down that road. Go ahead, well, Willie. I, yeah, I, at a very young age, you know, I was taught to always help others in need. And so one of the best ways to do that is to get into law enforcement. <clears throat> so in the early 90s, kind of tell my age now, right? In the early, in the early <laughs> 90s, Bear County had the most drive-by shootings in the nation. And so the San Antonio Police Department was hiring uh, several academies per year. So I applied and I, I got into the, the police department. And what I loved about that is that it also allowed me to uh, pursue my education. You know, both my parents dropped out in, in junior high and later as adults got their GED. So it was never anything that was pushed on us as children to get your education. It was just graduate from high school and get a good job. 
And so I was able to utilize me being a police officer with the San Antonio Police Department to further my education, get my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and now I'm just about done with my PhD in organizational leadership. I did that for many years. Uh, then I was asked to be part of the Secret Service. It was supposed to be a two-year assignment, and it being an eight-year assignment. So I was part of the Secret Service Task Force for all of the Western District of Texas. I did that for the eight years, and then retired and was offered to be the chief investigator of the Bear County District Attorney's Office under uh, LaHood's administration. Nice, nice. Some uh, some insight that I got to give the audience, and you probably don't remember this, but I remember you adding me on LinkedIn. This was probably about seven years ago. First message I sent Willie was, am I under investigation? Because <laughs> <laughs> all I read was detective, I think it said detective or lead investigator. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am I am being investigated for something. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a clean slate, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's my, that's my acquaintance prior to today's episode with Willie. All right. I want to go down that road that I told you about, Meredith. Um, there, there's obviously, you know, there's motivation for you running for DA. You've worked, obviously, in, in the office before. Mm-hmm. What, what is the missing element or what, what can be improved that you saw that has motivated you to run? Well, I think it's interesting that Willie mentioned the uh, drive-by shootings that were so high in the 90s, because when I first started at the DA's office, that was at the tail end of that. And we had literally murder after murder trial that was going on at the DA's office. And and so I saw firsthand sitting with the victims' families in those trials, like the impact it was having in our community. And it was only when we began really cracking down on crime and, and, and empowering the police to, to do their job, um, community policing, in such a way that we brought crime rates down in Bear County. And what I see now is those, the homicide rates are going back up and it, it bothers me as a, as a resident of Bear County, as a mother, uh, and as a former prosecutor, that I see this pendulum swinging back this other way. And I think that it's part, partly because of the policies that are being politically motivated, that are being put into place that I don't agree with. Tell, me, tell us a little more about that. Well, for one thing, I think that it's important to understand that the district attorney as elected is not a legislator. They are the person that's supposed to enforce and uphold the law. You, you take an oath to do that. And um, currently, there's a political agenda in place that says we're not going to prosecute, for example, criminal trespass or low-level drug offenses. And I think there are ways to discuss issues that involve criminal trespass and, dr- and low-level drug offenses that don't involve just not prosecuting. I think not prosecuting is ignoring a problem. It's, it's a policy of inaction. And it, and it allows for an atmosphere of lawlessness that then encourages more and more crime rather than, than stopping it where we can at a lower level. Additionally, you miss the opportunity to really offer a drug treatment, mental health services, any kind of, of services you can to people who have these issues because you're not interacting with them. If the DA's office is not accepting the charge, if they're just saying we're not going to enforce this law, which is the law, then police have no power to then bring those people in and have them screened. And so I think it has a really bad impact on law enforcement's ability to serve our community because like Willie, most of them, 99% of them want to protect and serve, right? And uh, it undermines their ability to do that. And it also then you see crime start to swing back up because these are similar to policies that were in place in the late 80s and early 90s. So it's just like it's a pendulum. And so we really have to get out ahead of it because San Antonio deserves better. Who enacted that um, that policy? Was it the current district attorney or was it something he adopted prior? It was the current district attorney. He announced it as part of his campaign platform. Why do you think that people do that? I mean, 
honestly, when I've seen when I've seen crime, there's always some kind of drug involvement in it, right? So it kind of buffoons me that somebody would say, "Hey, we're not going to prosecute." I mean, what classifies a low-level drug? I think you would have to look at their reports to say what they uh, specifically, because it seems to be a moving target, to right. be honest with you, but um, certainly certain amounts of drugs. And and there are site and release policies that were started, like, uh, that began even before Mr. LaHood took office under Reed. There was a plan to do those sorts of things, and then it came into place. So there are other ways that still involve enforcement of law that don't have to equal incarceration. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that everyone who possesses marijuana needs to be in prison. That's not my position. But as DA, you have to enforce the law. And so there are ways to address these problems. And when we see people who repeatedly have drug involvement um, to a level that it's causing law enforcement involvement, we need to address that as a society. And you can't do it if, if you're not having that engagement. And so it's this, this, this uh, political agenda to try to effectively invalidate laws that are still on the books that still need to be enforced when your job and your oath is to enforce the law. Do you think, um, do you think marijuana is a big factor in that play or is it more in terms of like methamphetamines, cocaine? Oh, it appears that they, that that there is a policy of non-prosecution for many different types of drugs. It's about the amount and and how much and whether or not, I mean, I don't know. It seems to, like I said, it's a moving target. I practice criminal defense and, and there can be times when we come to court and they are enforcing this or not that. And I I really can't speak to what the current policy is today. Um, It just seems to be a moving target and definitely one of inaction. Right. What's your take on this, Willie? I want to hear your side of it. Well, I've always said you can't mix uh, politics with public safety because you screw over every time, every single time. Because what happens is then you start to lead off of your platform or your or actually emotion, and we can't do that. I mean, Lady Lady Justice wears a blindfold for a reason, right? Because she doesn't care how much money you have or don't have, who you pray to, who you sleep with, what if you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, it doesn't care. Lady Justice does not care. It's about the scales of justice. You balance all that, and, and we want equality, and everyone's treated the same. It's not fair that if you and I go to a hotel room in the lobby and they ask us to leave and we say, no, you and I get arrested. But if the third person's with us is homeless and doesn't have a home, they don't get arrested, but you and I do. That's right. not equality. And that's peeking through the blindfold to find out, okay, I'm going to determine how I'm going to d- dictate justice and define justice based on who's committing it. And you'll screw it up every single time. That's what's happening now. And law enforcement officers are getting a little frustrated because they're going out there, they're doing their job, they're risking their lives, they're right. making these arrests. Only that by the time they're done with the paperwork, the person's already walking out of the jail because they're being declined by the, uh, the, the, the assistant district attorney who's at the MAG's office. We have to have consistency. I've, I've always said, look, I, I understand that we want to reduce recidivism. We want to improve the quality of life of people, of all people. And those who are needing help, we want to be able to help them. But we're not going to be able to identify that need if we're not coming in contact with them. So many homeless people have actually been saved by, so, so what they do is they go to screening, right? They get arrested, they go booking, and then they get, go through a nurse, and the nurse screens them. There's been cases where homeless people have been identified or been diagnosed with, with critical uh, types of diseases that they're able now cancer to get treated. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known, and that person would have died on the sidewalk. So there, we have to, we have to, have to biopsy. And the reason why I use that word, I'll be brief, is in 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer, stage four throat cancer. The doctor kept telling me, you're fine, you're healthy, you're working out, your blood's fine, here's some antibiotics. I went back. Well, we'll do a CT scan. Well, there's a little mass there, but you know what? It's probably because your body's fighting an infection, you're fine. We'll do another scan. It's over and over again until finally I was persistent to say, I want to know what's causing this symptom, right? 
So we did a biopsy and then they came back, said it's cancer. And then after a CT PET scan, they said it's stage four, it's spreading. If we do not biopsy these issues and we hang out in the symptoms and society is normal for doing that, right? Look, if you have a cough, what do you do? You go to CVS, you buy cough syrup and right. it suppresses the symptom. It doesn't, it doesn't cure it, it suppresses it. As a society, we're used to that. When we're talking criminal justice, we can't. We need to biopsy the symptoms and find out what's causing this. If you want to truly reduce recidivism, if you want to truly in improve the quality of life of people, let's find out what's causing this. And then let's uh, treat the cause and not suppress the symptom. Right. It's almost like a slippery slope, right? If they don't do anything about something, then it turns into a bigger issue such as homelessness, right? Absolutely. And uh, I think we should take our conversation there. Tell us about tell us about the homeless issue here in San Antonio. There's statistics back in it. Yeah, so I'm a small business owner, right? I have a law firm. There's three of us uh, lawyers that practice at my firm. We office downtown, and we were right there. at um, We are literally right there by the Alamo in our building where there was rioting last year, where there's rampant homelessness. As I exit the highway to go to my office, there's an entire, like, tent city living under McCullough there at the exactly highway. exactly what you're talking about. And um, it wasn't always like that. I'm not saying we never had homeless issues before. I mean, I'm not naive. We it, there, there has always been homeless issues in every large metropolitan area. But when you look at other cities who have had Soros-funded liberal agenda DAs, such as San Francisco, such as Seattle, such as Portland, and you see the explosion they've had in the homeless problem there, and now you look at what's happening here, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that when you do not address the issues, address the fact that the people are in places they are not supposed to be. Um, and, and what they try to do is they try to equate it like somehow you're heartless if you then uh, approach someone who is camping under the highway where they're not supposed to be, where they are committing the offense of criminal trespass, right? But the truth is you're interacting, like you said, with law enforcement interacting with them, you can establish what do they need? Are they mentally ill? Are they someone we see all the time? Are they coming back in? Is it someone we can hook up with the, the various services that we have in San Antonio to address their issues, not just ignore them? Not Which just stats show them. that, I mean, a lot of homeless, the homeless community, they're do, usually dealing with some type of mental sure. issue. Right. Yeah. Right. And not all criminal trespass is homeless either, right? So if someone is on your business doorstep and refusing to leave, but the police will not come because they've been told the offense will not be prosecuted, right. you're left powerless as a business owner to get to remove that person from your doorstep. When you're coming into your office every day and there's needles everywhere because right. drugs and criminal trespass are not being prosecuted, and now you're as the business owner left cleaning this up so that your clients or your customers don't see this, um, and the, think about the tourists and what they see downtown. I mean, it's it's just heartbreaking when you're downtown and 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 there's a there's a feeling of aggressiveness that has started happening because they're empowered because they know law enforcement will not do anything. And I just think it's sad. We we need to address the underlying issues, like Willie talked about. We need to allow law enforcement to do their job and to in, investigate and bring these people in. And then we need to screen them for services and appropriate help and enforce the law as needed. Sometimes you have to have some sort of hold over someone to make sure that they get the help that they need. We all have dealt with people who've had drug addiction and they don't want to get out of their addiction. It's part of the cycle of addiction. That's one of the reasons they have specialty courts. I don't know if you know, like the drug court. It's because they can enforce having the people do drug treatment because it's like a carrot and a stick. The, the idea that they could be incarcerated or they could have some consequence motivates them to then get treatment. We're missing that entire opportunity to motivate people to assist them. Um, so arrest does not have to equal incarceration, but ignoring a problem only allows it to explode.
Right. Willie, do you have an ex- any experience in this kind of realm? Well, fortunately not. I mean, uh, I hear about it all the time, though, because by the time these changes took place, I was no longer um, in the law enforcement career or patrolling and having to arrest people. But I, I, I hear it all the time, the frustration from the officers. You know, they even know, look, there's, you have to have structure. You have to have accountability. And the way you reduce recidivism is, one, you have to have accountability, and then second, opportunity. Right? And that opportunity may be some type of treatment or a job placement or something like that, right? But you, you can't expect things to improve when there's no accountability. I mean, it's just like when you're a child, right? You misbehaved, you were disciplined, and then you were loved right after. And so that's what needs to ha- happen here. I mean, look, if you look, I don't care what city or what county you're, you, you look up, where, if you look at the zip codes with high crime, there's no prosperity. Where there's high crime, there's, there's drugs, right? Where there's high crime, there's no revitalization no economic development, no workforce. Nobody wants to be in those areas. And so this, as, as we have weakened our public safety, we're weakening our prosperity in those communities. And we got to grab a hold of it before it gets too late, before right. we become these cities where it's just out of control. Right. Is the, uh, so I, I, it seems like I see the disconnect in it. My, my first question before we dive down the disconnect rabbit hole is, is the city doing anything to take care of the homelessness problem? Well, I think there are definitely programs out there. There, are, I mean, obviously we have Haven for Hope, and then we have lots of, of nonprofits that have that have come up. Um, I know that I personally support Christian Assistance Ministries or CAM in their efforts to assist homeless. I, I think that there are a lot of, of programs that are out there and ready to go if we can plug these people in. I think we're missing an opportunity to plug people in when we're not enforcing the no camping and the criminal right. trespass. That sounds like a lot of the private sector making that move, though, right? If you say nonprofits, Haven for Hope being a nonprofit, but is the city actually, do we, I mean, maybe we don't know, right? Is the city actually making any kind of effort to take care of this homelessness issue? I think particularly during this this uh, unique time in our history where we've got a lot of federal money that's coming into the city, um, I I, I believe that the city and the county are coordinating with nonprofits and putting some financial backing towards some of these these programs. I do believe that. I don't have details on that. Right, right. But I do believe that they have been directing some of the COVID funds, if you will, towards right. this issue. Um, and I think there's obviously a, a portion of people that are so economically affected by what's happened during the pandemic that it's added to the issue. So that's appropriate. Um, but as far I, I don't, I think that we're missing an opportunity again to to engage people right at the front end by not enforcing these laws as written and allowing law enforcement to engage with them. And and by the way, that means law enforcement will have their mental health officers and everyone else engage with them. It's not right. um, it's not black or white, right? It's 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 this whole like area where the community and the government can engage with these people, but you have to follow the law. Uh, and it, and so I think we really need to bring law enforcement back to the DA's office. Right. I will say this, though. I, I, I've spoken to several nonprofits who offer different types of services, and some of them tend to get a little frustrated because they want to offer their service to the city or the county, and, and they're sometimes turned away. And we've got to use all, utilize all our resources. I mean, it's important, especially when you have these resources that are being funded by the, governor, governor, uh, the, the government, which is not coming from local taxes, why not utilize those organizations? And who cares who gets the credit, right? That, that's, a, that's a whole different other issue is who's going to get the credit? Who's going to get to stand on the podium and take credit for this initiative? And if it's not going to be me, then I'm not going to support this initiative or I'm not going to support this organization. They need to put that aside uh, and stop thinking of themselves 
and start thinking about the community. Because in reality, they serve the community. The constituents is, is who, are the people who voted them in, and the constituents should be able to vote them out if they don't do their job. I agree. I agree. You mentioned something before, and I want to bring it up because me personally, so I don't know Soros's political agenda, but I've, I'm very familiar with Soros in terms of the hedge fund world and the finance world. Um, I followed him before, but what was his incentive in wanting to uh, fund Joe? Well, so I will say this. I'm not in his mind, <clears throat> so yeah. I'm not going to speculate as to, right. any, okay, I have no idea what his end game or is. Well, let me ask you, yeah, what's the narrative that's getting pushed, right, for Soros wanting to fund? Well, so it's not the only DA's office that he's done this. Right. With. He's done it with Houston. He's done it with Dallas. He's done it with others in other states, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, like I said, Seattle. So he, ha he has this prosecutorial reform agenda, and I take issue with that in several places. I don't think that reform comes by ignoring laws. I think if you want to reform, then you need to go to the legislature, and you need to lobby for laws that you think are fair and push for those to happen. And by the way— the district attorney's office has access to a very good lobbying age, uh, organization called the Texas District and County Attorneys Association, which led, led the charge for reform as far as discovery, as far as uh, turning over evidence to the defense. People have heard of the Michael Morton Act. TDCA was right there with them pushing for that, along with defense attorneys. So prosecutorial reform is not owned by one party or one progressive agenda. Reform can happen in its natural state. And I think that proper reform happens by taking it to the right branch of government. And um, as DA, I will enforce the law as written. And if the law changes, I'll enforce that law as written. And then it would be my job to work with my partners to push for laws that I think are just, but ultimately, Whatever law is passed is the law that I've sworn an oath to uphold. Um, and I feel very strongly about that, so strongly that I left the office after 18 and a half years because that was stated as one of the platform issues, uh, and I could not continue to work there. Right, right. You know anything about Soros, Willie? I'm just <laughs> echoing what she said. Right. You know, the agenda is, is um, to, and the reality is this, is that you're compromising truth to fit their narrative. And you can't. You know, right. They're compromising truth. They're compromising the law to fit the narrative that they want and, and their agenda. And you can't do that, and especially when it comes to criminal justice. You cannot. And, and, the, and the, there are some words that Meredith said that people tend to think it belongs to a particular party. You know, reform means to improve. Right. Right. So I'm for reforming bail bonds. I'm refor reforming police, reforming the justice system. Progressive means progress. So it's not tied to a political party. It just you got to look at how it's defined. Um, the problem is, though, is a lot of people are uninformed and uneducated. So they hear these sound bites and they think it's attached to a certain group or right. party and they don't do their own research. And I think that that's what I encourage more than anything. The, the last race that, that, that um, as you mentioned, that I was involved in, they asked me what I thought about it. I just said, I wish people would inform themselves and educate themselves and not listen to the rhetoric and the sound bites. My job is to inform you and then you make the decision. And we're all different. We're all wired different. The reason why we're all different is because of our experiences in our life, right? From childhood to how your parents grew you, raised you, to the schools you attended, to your friends, to all those incidents, you know, cancer, anything you, anything you are involved in or you experience makes you who you are. So I don't expect you or anybody else in here to be exactly like me. So I respect when people have differences in opinions than me. As a matter of fact, I gravitate to them more because I want to learn more of why you disagree with me because you're going to educate me. And that's what it's about is right information gathering and being informed. 
And then you apply what you think is best, what you think is best, not what your friends say or the group says or the radio or the TV says. It's what you think is best for the community. What do you think? So here's from an outsider looking into it, right? Because I don't follow what George Soros actually funds in today's day and age. But from looking at it from an outside view, I know there's a lot of people that that think the system is broken, and I'll, and I'll specify one way, right? The fact that Democrat... Democrat, um, Democratic um, members of the Texas House of Representatives had to leave in order for a law not to be enacted. To me, that says something is wrong with the system. So when I look at people like George Soros that want to fund things to get changed in their own way, then isn't that, doesn't that reinforce that, hey, there's something wrong with this system? I just want to see where you guys sit in that in that opinion or in in that idea. Do you think that there's something wrong with the system in terms of laws being enacted that people have to leave to another state for something not to get passed? Well, okay, so it's like a three part question. Right, so right, right. I, I would say this. Number one, I think that one of the things that I've always been the most proud about with San Antonio and Bear County is that we're different. I've always felt like we're different. You look at our Spurs, and when we win the championship, we don't riot. We right. go downtown and we honk our horns, right? We've always been a community that has come together, that has been there for each other. Our law enforcement really reflects the community as well, um, and that's always been something I've been very proud of. And so I take issue with someone not from here coming and trying to create a problem that doesn't exist to tell us we have a problem we don't really have and to try and push something that we didn't ask for. So that's one. As far as people having to leave, I don't think they had to leave. That's my opinion. Um, and I don't even say that from a political party standpoint. I think when you're elected, you go in and you fight and you don't leave the fight. But that's my personal opinion. Um, that law also, I think, passed. I'm, it I'm did. Not sure it, just, in the it just end. got signed today. So I'm not sure to what end that happened because I, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But there were many other things on that special session that needed to be addressed, not the least of which to my heart is the foster care crisis that we're in. So I think leaving was, um, to me, a politically driven decision, not necessarily a to do something. Um, but if they didn't leave, then quorum would be met. Right. But that's why then you fight. Then if you really feel strongly, then you get people out to vote for your side so that you're not in the minority next time. I mean, I just think that our democratic process is is in jeopardy right now. If you want to know how the system is broken, you have DAs all over the country who are legislating from their office. That's not their branch of government. You've got uh, people leaving that are supposed to be legislating like what is going on? If everyone just did their job and 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 followed what their part was supposed to be, we could make change. I mean, there's a way to make change. And I loved something you said, or I don't remember if it was before we were on air or after, about how younger generations aren't as interested in voting. They don't understand how it affects them. And so I would say this. All of these elections matter. And if you want to see change, if you, think, if you think the system is really broken, then research the candidates and vote in your local elections. And don't just decide on who you're going to vote on based on what party they have to affiliate with or they choose to affiliate with because party platforms are hundreds of pages long. Right. Look at what they stand for in regard to the issues that matter for the office they're running for and that matter to you, and then vote. And I will tell you that I am interested in the issues that are Bear County issues, not outsider issues. I'm interested in what people who live here, who work here, 
no matter what side of town they live on, the issues that matter to them and making those issues a priority, not some outside person. Right. Appreciate that, Meredith. Yeah. Go ahead, Willie. So I think that there is a broke, there's a disconnect. And um, it's getting to the point now where people don't care what's being said. They all they care about is who's saying it, right? If, if, if a Democrat's saying it, Republicans shut it down. Right. If a Republican said it, Democrats shut it down. Right. That's the problem is that people are putting politics before people. Yep. And again, it's screwing up the system. And, and I do believe, I do believe there are issues here in San Antonio, obviously not to the extent of others. But when you have a poll, which we had last election, for 49% of the people that voted wanted to defund the police, there's an issue. Now, what that issue is, I don't know, right? Because I wasn't part of the information gathering. I, don't, I haven't looked at the data. I, I'm not talking to the participants to find out why did you vote to defund. So to me, that was an eye-opener for me. Because as Meredith said, historically, we didn't have those issues here in San Antonio that we had in other areas of the, of the nation. But to, for 49 to, 49% wanted to defund to 51% who said, no, we don't, that's something to talk about. That is something to say, okay, let's, back to my point, let's biopsy this issue and find out what's causing this 49% to, to feel this way. Because if, if we believe that, that public safety leads to prosperity, and there's an issue with public safety or the perception of public safety, then we need to find out what that is and let's let's fix that before we become these other states and other cities throughout the nation where there's infighting. Right. I think I think the issue exists. Here's my take on it. I think the issue existed, right? Because if we could look and we could look at the devil in the details. And there are cases out there where police officers have gotten off with a slap on the wrist, right? Slap on the hand not being held accountable for what they did. There's a couple of big stories out there, like the guy who, I don't know, fed a, a sandwich with feces in there, and there's many more There's many more out there. But the biggest thing is, I think, collective bargaining. The, the, the portion of collective bargaining in that agreement is definitely flawed. Why? Because there are constraints within that collective bargaining agreement. For instance, the 48-hour time slot you got to give a police officer 48 hours to, in my opinion, form an alibi before they're questioned. To me, that's a flaw, right? Because ideally, if you know the evidence and all evidence has to be presented against them before they could get interviewed, that tells me that, hey, there's there's an issue there. And I think that ultimately is a motivating factor for that 49%, right? I agree. If police aren't being held accountable. Police officers, and, and I have many friends. I love our police department here in San Antonio because I, I do I haven't met a bad soul in there. I know they exist. I haven't met them. I've only read about them. But I think that's the 49% driver, right? Accountability and that collective bargaining agreement, which they had the opportunity recently to, I think, to to collective bargaining the right way with the input from the community. But if it didn't pass, there's going to be the, the, the community can't give their input in there. And I think that's a big disconnect, and that's a big problem. But to answer your question, I think that's the 49% that we're talking about. Um, but not to steer away from that conversation. But but um, I agree. There, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed, I think, in this, in this system. I do think, like you said, Willie, there is a component that is broken. And, um, and yeah, that's just kind of my take. <laughs> well, I've, I've always said one of the best attributes that any of us can have is self-awareness. Right. Right. So if you could identify your weaknesses and you could identify your strengths and admit to those weaknesses 
And then you surround yourself with people that can supplement and, and provide that strength in your weakness. Um, so many people, though, and so many agencies turn a blind eye and figure they don't think that they have a problem. Right. And there is a problem. You know, uh, I'm glad you brought that example up because, you know, I came on in 93 and there was a classmate of mine that, you know, we were kind of worried about him, even in the academy. And several of us expressed some concern. Well, he had been arrested and, and uh, it got in, received six different indefinite suspensions throughout his career and had been arrested five different times. A couple of times he was in uniform and they went and got him out of dispatch and cuffed him and arrested him. That's a problem. Right. And the issue was that the chief's hands were tied due to contract right that he could not and i don't understand that you know I, I own a security business and if i want to terminate someone i don't want some other right. contract or agreement says you can't you know i'm the, I'm the owner i should be able to terminate if I, if I could justify that action so he couldn't well if, and i'll show you the article later yeah he he finally retired moved out of state gets into a shooting with three deputies so now he's in, going to prison for attempted capital murder right that was a bad seed within our agency that no telling what he could have done, damage he could have done, especially with the relationship between law enforcement and the community here in San Antonio. Right, right. I invited Chief McManus to speak to us one one time, I think maybe about four months ago. Unfortunately, he could not come on or did not want to come on, but I hope he changes his mind because I think this is an important platform to talk about, and I'm certainly looking forward to bringing you <laughs> on if he does. Uh, I, think uh, he, I think you have some good insight into, into, those, into those perspectives. That takes us to our facts, right? There is, of course, homelessness that's uprising mm -hmm. in San Antonio, Bear County, child abuse, neglect, domestic violence. I know you just touched a portion on domestic violence. Meredith, I want to hear your take. With these rising statistics, what's the driver and what's what's the catalyst to fix this? So domestic violence and child abuse are where I spent the majority of my career as a prosecutor, that and, and human trafficking. And so... Um, there are a lot of factors that play into why domestic violence rates go up, um, child abuse rates, uh, particularly with the challenges presented by the pandemic. I mean, we can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? There, people have been locked down with each other. And in, in my family law practice, I'll tell you, divorces are up because they don't want to be around right, each other anymore. Right, right. <laughs> but um, with domestic violence, you you have to understand, and, and like with so many things, I just don't people. I don't think people really get that. The DA's office is almost like the hub of the wheel where all the information comes together. So if you uh, are arrested for domestic violence against your spouse and your spouse needs a protective order, there's an area of the DA's office that assists that person in getting a protective order. So they're doing a, they're doing a civil suit at the same time that they have a criminal case. They have a protective order. They have a criminal case. But they also represent child protective services. So they might also have some kind of CPS involvement because of the domestic violence. And all that information, they're not sharing it with each other. Law enforcement and CPS don't necessarily have access to each other's records. That may not be publicly known, but that's true, okay? And, um, and the DA's office is where all these records intersect. So there should be communication there so that they are better at helping victims. I can personally tell you I've represented women who had their children removed by Child Protective Services by our DA's office, who at the same time were obtaining a protective order to try and help them and prosecute the offender. And the reason they were taking the woman's children away was because she was a, quote, participant in family violence. Now, I was able to get her kids back, thank goodness. But to me, had they been talking to each other, they would have known. She's not a participant, number right. one. Okay, she's a survivor. And number two, that she's cooperating with your prosecution. Don't attack your best witness. And who's offering services to this woman to help her? Because the main 
barrier that she had in her home was she needed childcare because of COVID so that she could get a job. So, but, I mean, it's just that all lived within the DA's office, but they weren't talking to each other. Why, why don't they? Why isn't there a communication channel in that? I think that part of it is that, to be honest, people who get elected DA haven't necessarily always done the job. They haven't been down there in the trenches, and I have. And I'm not a politician. I never really thought this would be something I would do like when I started my career, but I have seen these gaps for years and I have been yelling into the wind for years that we need to communicate and we need to do a better job from my victim advocacy experience and from my experience in CPS court and in criminal court, that they need to be working hand together. And you just have to, you have to develop a culture of communication. And right now, the criminal side doesn't seem to know what's going on in the civil side and vice versa. So you have to have somebody that can operate in both of those arenas. And I really bring that to the table. I spent years doing the CPS docket. I, I mean, there's hardly anyone who's had the kind of experience I've had doing both of the systems. And so to to begin that culture of communication, and I feel like we were just getting that started when I left, and I would really like to develop that, and, and it will better serve our children and our victims, and and honestly, the case uh, outcomes will be better as well. Right. I, th- I think you definitely have the remedy to kind of fix, fix what's happening in that regard. Willie, I, of course, I do want to hear your take on, you know, the domestic violence issue, that's that's uprising in Bear County, and this is p- during the pandemic that that it's jumped. Oh, I would say right? it, it's yes. definitely jumped. It's yeah. like a pressure cooker, right. you know. Yeah, I I, th- I agree with with what Meredith uh, stated. I, I think that we need to collaborate more though and communicate more. Uh, for for several years, I worked in, in this undercover unit with SAPD, and I remember before we did a warrant, we would enter the information in the computer system where all these different agencies can see just in case they were working the same suspect or just in case they had an undercover uh, officer in the house when we're going to run the warrant. So there's ways you can communicate amongst all different types of agencies, whether you're state or federal or local. There's ways to do that. There's still ways we could do that at the DA's office. So many times we were working on cases and we didn't even realize that downstairs they were working the same suspect, right? And they had more information than we had, and th- but there was no communication. That's within the same roof. Right, so there's got to be a better way to, com- to communicate. Also, the other issue that I saw when I was in the DA's office is when you go to an agency and you explain things to them or say, we need this from you, sometimes they get a little offended and they feel like you're trying to tell them how to do their job. And you get rid of that, that right. attitude. Again, it goes right back to serving the community. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, all our responsibility is protecting the community. Right. And that means collaboration because not one office can, can do it alone. Ego aside. E- exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Because it'll, it'll screw things up every single time. Do you think, uh, Meredith, do you think the district attorney would have a position in being able to establish, I would say, how, how do we remove the ego from that, right? How do, you, how do you fix that problem? Oh, I think you absolutely, you need to look at, um, at creating this culture of communication, bringing people to the table. The district attorney is in a unique position to use their heft, right, to bring people to the table and say, let's just make this work. Okay, you're you're here on your you're the law enforcement part of domestic violence. What do you need from child protective? Child protective, what do you need from law enforcement? But someone who speaks both languages, who can sit there and say, let's work this out. I mean, it just takes coming to the table and working it out. And I think that when that communication starts happening and then they see good outcomes from it, everybody gets buy-in. You've got to get the buy-in. That's how you get the ego set aside, is you get people together and then you see some good outcomes and you have buy-in. And, and when I was able to make that work in a case, I mean, it was just amazing the, the outcomes that you can get so much better than when you're not communicating at all. And right. sometimes 
as I mentioned, lack of self-awareness, sometimes you remove the ego by removing them from office. Because if you have no self-awareness, no matter how much you talk to that person, they're never going to admit that what they're doing is not effective and efficient. So that's when you have to educate and inform the constituents of the issues and then vote the person out. Right. Sometimes that's the only way to get rid of those egos. Right. I, b- I believe that. I believe that. And that's what you see in corporations, right? Absolutely. If, if, if CEO is not doing the job or doing the job efficiently or the way that it should be, vote the, the constituents, the board votes them out. And I'm glad you said that because yeah. this is what I've told people, whether it's Chief McManus or, or the sheriff or whoever. Just because you have stars on your collar doesn't mean you know everything. Right. You don't. I mean, there's consultants for a reason, right? There's consultants that come into these organizations, Fortune 500, or sometimes they're not Fortune 500s, but the consultant comes in and gets them, break that glass ceiling, and they become that. The reason is that somebody comes in from the outside, and they're looking through a different set of lenses. So just because you have stars on your collar doesn't mean you know it all. Allow some outside people to come and interject and give opinions on what's what they see and don't get offended by it right take that information break it down and say okay is this applicable can we apply this to our our workforce or our organization or police department and if not at least you could explain what great idea but because of these barriers we're unable to implement that but at least listen and take it in not think that oh i know it all because i'm on top right Right. Yeah. The mistake that people make is they don't ask questions and they take everything as gospel. And we have to understand as a, as a community, as an audience, that there is a human factor to what I do. I make errors. You make errors in your position. You make errors in your position. Right. Because we're human. Right. And what makes what how do you reduce how do you drastically reduce those errors? And I think it's by bringing in community, whether it's through a board, whether it's through a committee whether it's through constituents writing you and you actually responding, right? Um, all of those things help you reduce the human factor error that inevitably lives in everything. Right. When you talk about reform, yep. when you talk about police reform or, or, or criminal justice reform, it doesn't start on the seventh floor at the DA's office. It doesn't start in the chief's office at the top of the building. It starts in the community. That's how you truly get reform, right. is you go into the community and find out what are the issues. Because this is the thing also, as I always tell... Law enforcement agencies historically have run, they've led by authoritative and transactional leadership, right? Authoritative, you do what I say because it says so in the rules and regulations. Transactional is, which I hate to admit, but it happens. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You do this for me, I'm going to give you this, right? Right. It should be transformational. What that means is that you go down from the bottom, the boots on the ground, and in the community, and you work your way up, and you lead from the bottom up. Because the reality is this, McManus hasn't been on the streets in 30, 40 years, how can he tell the officers how to handle these calls when the culture has changed so much? Right. The culture has changed so much even with the last five years. So the policing needs to change to the culture. I'm not saying bend the facts and truth to narratives and, and compromise truth and run the agency by emotions. Because, again, we have a set of rules. But how we address those rules and how we address those crimes need to change. Agreed. Meredith, anything to say in that regard? Well, I, I, I think when we were we were talking about when you relate it to corporate, yeah, like I, I think that it's important to note that a, a district attorney, like the elected DA, like I would like to be, is then responsible to have your subject matter experts that work for you, right? You've got to get the best of the best to be your division chiefs to deal with each of these issues because you can't rely, you can't, nobody should have the ego to think. I know better than anybody else about all of these things, right? right? So you bring in the best of the best that you can. You put your team together and you have your board meet and you make sure that you're addressing it. But Willie's right. 
you also have to be talking to the line people. Right. You've got to be, when I represented Child Protective Services, and I was doing a lot of training, I probably trained thousands of caseworkers on courtroom decorum, how to testify, and then about the different changes in the law. Every time the law would change, we'd go out and do trainings because we represented them. But it was really important to spend that time meeting with my caseworkers and finding out what was going on out in the field. And invariably, if they had a child abuse case that had a criminal component, I would find out so much. And I would be sending emails to the criminal prosecutor like, we need to talk. Because right. it's those people, the line workers, the, the, the people down at the, the lowest level that are going to give you the best information. And so you've got you to have all that working together um, in order to address these issues. And, and so you'll hear about what's really going on when you talk to the people down here. And then you have to filter it through your legal experts up here and develop policies that address all of those things. Right. Looking at the space, you coming in as a, in a position of DA, do you think that the, um, the accountability for law enforcement is going to be reinforced? Yeah, I think it's very important. I am, if when I, when I tell you that I'm tough on crime, I'm tough on crime. I don't really care who the defendant is. Okay. So in my own personal career, I prosecuted a defense attorney. So it was like taking on one of our own, right? Like, uh, accusing another lawyer of very, very bad things. And he was prosecuted for human trafficking and he went away for 80 years. And it was very, it was very eye opening to me how much, um, the, the bar kind of was like, are you sure what you're doing? Because he's a lawyer, you know, and I had to kind of push back against that. Right. Like, it doesn't matter who right. the person is. So I say this. I love my law enforcement brothers and sisters. These, these people are dear to me. I was a prosecutor for many, many years. I have a lot of friends who are police officers, detectives. They work very hard. But if someone uses that badge right. or does something wrong while wearing that badge that needs to be prosecuted criminally, I have no fear about that. I do not care who you are. I will prosecute, like like Willie said, Lady Justice is blind. Right. And you have to be blind. It doesn't matter who the person is. And the other thing you have to know is that if it's someone that you can't personally prosecute, that's why the DA's office has the power to recuse and have someone else. So if it was someone that I personally knew, be, you know, or had had friendship with, you'd have to recuse. Right. So you, you just have to operate so that there is an appearance. There's no appearance of impropriety, and you have to enforce the law uh, consistently and be fair and just be tough on everybody. And right. that, that's, that's how we uphold the law. Right. Yeah. I keep bringing Ray Dalio back into this, but such a great book principles. I don't know if you've ever read of it, uh, read it, but, um, talks about radical transparency. And again, I'll go back to the corporate world, right? It's how he operates Bridgewater radical transparency, whether it's from the top C level executives to the bottom new, a new associate that just joined the firm. But everybody's opinion matters. And mm -hmm. on top of that, ev everything is radically transparent. So anything that is that, it, however anyone feels about someone in the organization has to come out. And they have these, I think they, it's probably like a weekly or a monthly thing where everybody meets and they have a system to where they input, you know, their information and such. But radical transparency is huge. I agree. For any organization, whether it's a corporation or position of district attorney. Mm -hmm. Um. Let's give our audience be, before we uh, before we leave a couple of words of wisdom. You know, before we before I get you off the microphone, what what would you what would you say is is um, a word of advice for kind of that young audience that is watching that feel whether they feel unmotivated that they can't accomplish things in life, whether it's they aspire to be a district attorney themselves or run for a campaign like you are or in law enforcement. What do you have to say to that young audience? I think that. Um 
get your get educated. Yeah. Education is key. And don't ever give up on getting educated. Um, I didn't have good grades in college, uh, but I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a prosecutor, more importantly. That was what I wanted to do. And to do that, I had to be a lawyer. So I just worked really hard to get into law school and studied and 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 did it. And don't let anything stop you if that if that's your goal. Just get educated. It will help you. And that may be a trade. That may be just get educated. And then also be educated about your choices when you're voting. And I think that it's so important for young people to vote. You have to learn about local elections. I mean, the presidential election is fun to vote in and, and, and important. Don't get me wrong. But is that person going to affect your day-to-day life the way a judge will or the way a DA will or the way a sheriff will? Those things affect your day-to-day life. Learn about those people and vote for the right person for the job regardless. And I also think get out and vote in a primary. Don't worry about picking a party. Get out and vote in a primary. Pick the best candidate amongst all of them and get out and vote in that primary because primaries are where the candidates are chosen. So if you have someone you want to support, go support them and don't be afraid to do that. Because really, I think there's this this idea since my generation, Generation X, probably were the the beginning of this, where it just doesn't matter, right? But it does matter. It does matter. And we can see that now in policies that are happening. So get out and vote. Take your power back. Love that. Appreciate that, Meredith. Willie, go ahead. Yeah, so um, education is key, right, as Meredith mentioned, but also be careful of your sources of information. You know, some people will tend to go to certain channels, uh, certain media outlets, uh, Facebook or social media, where people who are posting have their own agenda, right? So they're going to do sound bites and, and, and lead people down the direction, the path they want people to go down. So I encourage people to go to these debates. Actually listen to the candidates. And watch these debates if you can't attend and ask questions directly to the candidate. You know, they ha- everyone has social media now and you could private message them a question. Ask questions, get, in, get involved um, because it's important. It's important to be a leader in your community. And a lot of people think, well, a leader is a position. I tell people leader is not a position. A leader is a behavior. Yep. So you could be a leader within your classroom, within your household, within your, your circle of friends. It's, it's setting the example and living a life that where you're more concerned about the person next to you than yourself. Because can you imagine we lived in a world that way, where you lean on the interests of others more than your own interest? Uh, and until we start doing that, until we start making informed decisions, we're going to continue to go down this path. And it's scary. Right. It's getting pretty dark out there, in my opinion. It is. Something's got to change. And like you said, I think you got to keep an open mind. Question who's running. Don't just vote because it's a political affiliation. Right? Ask questions. Get in front of it. And really understand someone and their motive, right? Right. Okay. Well, that finishes off. Um, if any, if anybody's listening on Spotify or iTunes, make sure you go to our YouTube channel and you hit that subscribe button and share it, like it. That helps our algorithm and vice versa. If you're actually watching this on YouTube, the video portion of our podcast, make sure you go to iTunes and, um, and Spotify and subscribe on there. And that way you could have that on your phone. Other than that, I want to thank you, Willie, Meredith, for coming on the podcast. And I hope to hear from you soon. And I wish you nothing but success on your campaign. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Appreciate it. All righty.